Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The NFL's Players Coalition is a group that has committed themselves to social justice. It was born, like many movements, by the actions of one person. In this case, it was then 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national anthem. But over time, the mission of the group seems to have splintered. At times, it was to unite behind Kaepernick to make sure he got a fair shot to return to the NFL, while other times it seemed the mission was to use their voice to get the owners to join them as agents of social change. During each of these, there seemed to be groups within the group disagreeing with the voice of the coalition. So it was no surprise when the owners offered to help financially that some saw it as progress, while others saw it as a buyout. You can easily argue that money can make a difference in some places, but you can also argue that you just can't buy trust. So where does the movement go from here? Only time will tell. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Howard Bryant as we talk about the state of the NFL Players Coalition. Now we present A Protest Divided by Howard Bryant. 49ers safety Eric Reed's instincts were buzzing as if he were anticipating a screen pass. Increasingly, they were telling him to expect the worst. For weeks during the fall of 2017, tension had been brewing within the Players Coalition, a collection of NFL players committed to addressing issues of social justice. Under scrutiny from fans, owners, and even the President of the United States, over recent protests during the singing of the National Anthem, the players found themselves fluctuating between solidarity and fracture as they struggled to unify their message and leverage their position for change. On November 29th, Reed received a text from one of the leaders of the coalition, Eagle Safety Malcolm Jenkins, about Jenkins' discussions with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and the league's player liaison, Troy Vincent. At issue was how the players could partner with owners on initiatives within the African-American community. The two sides had discussed the league making a huge donation to social justice causes. Jenkins' text to the group concluded with, If they were to agree to this, do you think you'd be more comfortable with ending the demonstrations? Reed believed that Jenkins, without consent of the group, had volunteered to end their protest in exchange for a financial commitment from the NFL. My head was ready to explode, Reed recalls. I was already drifting from the coalition, and this confirmed why. To Jenkins, financial commitment from the owners was a positive step, a pathway to putting real resources toward fighting the injustice that fueled their demonstrations. But to Reed, who had been kneeling during the national anthem since the protest began in September 2016, alongside former teammate Colin Kaepernick, the deal felt like a payoff to stop kneeling, the final betrayal in what had been a tense season. Not long after receiving Jenkins' text, feeling sold out, Reed released a statement that he was quitting the coalition. A few days later, the NFL said it would pledge $89 million over seven years to grassroots social justice groups to be matched by the players. Jenkins said the NFL's money did not preclude other players from protesting if they chose, but he would no longer be demonstrating during the anthem. Yet while former player Anquan Bolden, a key member of the coalition, told the New York Daily News that, I think the NFL got it right. The deal served as a breaking point for others. Dolphin safety Michael Thomas, who had continued to kneel during the anthem, followed Reed out of the group. Chargers lineman Russell Okung called the deal a farce. 
For Reed and other defecting players, the coalition had become the NFL's hand-picked safe alternative to Kaepernick and the kneeling players. The league had lured them with promise of social commitment and big money to cover for the real purpose of sabotaging their movement and ending the protests. The coalition, meanwhile, was insulted by the idea it had sold out, and there was heavy sentiment within the coalition and the union that Kaepernick had squandered his opportunity. They also believed that his allies, while admirable in their idealism, were impractical about how to get things done. It's unrealistic to think everyone was going to see eye to eye, but I am encouraged the coalition is alive and well, Jenkins says. We have a ton of players that are super interested and excited to get to work to highlight the work they've already been doing. With the season now nearly over, a group of socially committed players remains at odds, with Kaepernick as the dividing line. Interviews over four months with multiple players, representatives, and league insiders show how the cause Kaepernick started has been slowly fractured by frustrations, unreconciled resentments, and missed opportunities to fight for real change. A potentially unifying movement that fell apart for reasons that to some observers seem inevitable in retrospect. The players had real leverage, an NFL owner says, but we knew we could sit back and watch them implode. To understand the current player division, it's important to first understand how each faction dealt with Kaepernick's unemployment. Kaepernick had every intention of playing in the NFL this season. When the 49ers told him they would cut him if he opted into his $14.5 million contract after he had thrown for 2,241 yards and 11 starts in 2016, he opted out a week early, in March 2017, to get a jump on the marketplace. He knew his season-long protest during the anthem, which he began in the final preseason game of 2016, had created an enormous negative for coaches and owners. So he and his team of advisors, led by agent Jeff Nally, who declined to be interviewed for this story, set a strategy for dealing with the issue. He would grant no interviews about the NFL. If you say nothing, nothing can be used against you, Kaepernick told me during a July interview for an upcoming book. The possibility that there would be repercussions for his protest, however, was never far from the minds of his advisors or the NFL Players Association. Following the Super Bowl last year, the union reached out to Kaepernick's team to inquire about formulating a collusion case in anticipation that he'd be frozen out of the league. Kaepernick's advisors declined, wanting to approach the free agent and draft periods with an open mind. As the calendar turned and quarterbacks with lesser pedigrees were signed, Kaepernick waited. Criticism mounted from members of the media, teams, and even fellow players and union insiders over Kaepernick's decision to opt out of his deal instead of forcing the 49ers to release him. Yet, he still chose not to respond. Kaepernick has not conducted a formal news conference or television interview in over a year. By summer's end, his support team looked with optimism toward the first month of the season. Certainly, his advisors reasoned. A contender with a hole under center would tap him as a veteran replacement. They reasoned incorrectly. Indianapolis had been in limbo throughout training camp with the injured Andrew Luck, but then acquired Jacoby Brissett from the Patriots. The Broncos' quarterback situation was a mess, but the team decided to sign Brock Osweiler, a Browns cast-off who had started in Denver previously. When Ryan Tannehill went down in Miami, the team lured Jay Cutler out of retirement with $10 million. The humiliations mounted. Still, Kaepernick said nothing. Simmering through all this were what Kaepernick's advisors deemed a series of major slights by the union, 
dating to August 31st, 2016, when a story by Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report contained this passage. One executive said he hasn't seen this much collective dislike among front office members regarding a player since Ray Carruth. Remember Ray Carruth? He's still in prison for the plot to murder his pregnant girlfriend. That sentiment bothered Kaepernick, but it did not bother him nearly as much as what occurred after. Silence from the NFLPA and its executive director, DeMarie Smith. How could they effing let that pass? Nobody defended him, says one member of Kaepernick's inner circle. You just let them compare one of your players who had done nothing except try to help some of the most vulnerable people in this country. You let them compare him to an effing murderer? Carruth was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder and two other charges. According to a union source, the NFLPA had a different focus at the time. We're concerned with the legal aspects of this case, and they want us to make them feel better. The Kaepernick team did want them to make their guy feel better. No one had risked more than Kaepernick, and no one was losing more. The least the union could do, members of Kaepernick's team thought, was provide a fierce public shield of support. Meanwhile, civil rights leader Al Sharpton attempted to mobilize his National Action Network to organize a boycott of the NFL on September 10th, opening Sunday, if Kaepernick remained unsigned. But Sharpton had two problems, both of which spoke to the growing tensions among the protesters. The first was the fact that the players seemed prepared to play without a formal response to Kaepernick's situation. They had planned no gesture of solidarity via a news conference or an on-field action on behalf of Kaepernick. How much can we be expected to do when these players are willing to sacrifice one of their own, Sharpton said a month before the regular season began. Sharpton's second problem was Kaepernick. According to Sharpton, Kaepernick's camp ignored his overtures during the spring and summer as fans organized spontaneous boycotts supporting the quarterback. The moment was slipping away. We want to help, Sharpton said. There's a feeling that people with buying power don't support him. And believe me, we can show the NFL that plenty of black people with buying power do support him. All he has to do is say the word and we'll get 10,000 people out in front of the NFL headquarters or wherever he wants to go. But I don't know what his strategy is. Does he have a strategy? As questions were being raised about Kaepernick's silence, the NFLPA was wrestling with its own strategy for how to deal with protesting players. It supported the players' right to demonstrate. A dozen players did so on opening day in 2016. But the union believed its primary responsibility wasn't to eradicate police brutality, but to protect jobs and increase salaries. And if sponsors distanced themselves from the league, it would shrink the financial pie for players. But the thorniest issue was that it was impossible to know if there was universal player support from a membership of nearly 2,000 for the on-field demonstrations. Over a year after Kaepernick first took a knee, it still perplexes Smith that the union could be accused of not being supportive. Smith says he had decided the most important thing he could do after the quarterback's August 2016 protest was to maintain the right of the players to protest at work. And so he gave an interview to David Zirin of The Nation in which he defended that right. When the league did not move to punish Kaepernick, Smith believed he had protected his player. Combined with the NFLPA's expressed willingness to mount a collusion case, Smith believes that refutes the notion that the union was lukewarm to Kaepernick's cause. Yet the stalemate between Kaepernick and the NFLPA deepened this season. In early September, Kaepernick's representatives flew to Washington to meet with the union's legal team, General Counsel Tom DePazzo and Senior Director of Player Affairs Don Davis. Both sides agreed to remain in contact and strategize as the season progressed. But now, 
Months later, each side alleges the other never called back. Kaepernick's team says that it asked Smith to write a public statement charging the NFL with collusion, but that Smith refused. According to a union source, the reason the union didn't publicly accuse the owners of collusion was that it would have immediately started a statute of limitations on a collusion action, which would have undercut the union's position. Then came the moment that changed the season. President Donald Trump's September 22nd speech in Huntsville, Alabama, during which he turned his focus on the player protests. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flags to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired, fired. For the first time in a year, the players had a cause that could band them together as a union. In the week after, white and black players knelt, shot their fists into the air, and locked arms. Even Dallas owner Jerry Jones took a knee before an anthem. Kaepernick did such a brave thing, such a selfless thing, that has resulted in other guys doing a selfless thing. And it reached the President of the United States, Smith says. And it pissed off some sponsors, media, and fans. But it took back the curtain, and our players got to see these people for what they truly were. And it made our union stronger. It allowed me to say the same thing to all 32 teams. All of you responded with more respect than the President gave you. The best conversations about race, inequality, and social justice were occurring in a room of quote-unquote millennials where people on the outside think of you as insular, self-centered, and inattentive. But even with the momentum shifting toward the players, discord simmered. The original group of dissenters, kneelers such as Reed, Eli Harold of the 49ers, and Kenny Stills of the Dolphins, was concerned its movement was being smothered by the president's spectacle. Were the protests about Trump? or the recent violence in Charlottesville, and while everyone was patting himself on the back for taking a stand, they pointed out Kaepernick was still unemployed. Two weeks later, high-profile defense attorney Mark Garagos filed a formal charge of collusion on behalf of Kaepernick against the NFL. What was felt privately in his camp all spring and summer could now be said out loud. Kaepernick believed he was being blackballed by the NFL. The next obvious step was for Kaepernick's team and the union to begin working together on their case. But according to both the NFLPA and Kaepernick's legal team, when NFLPA counsel texted Kaepernick requesting that he meet with Smith, Kaepernick rebuffed the idea. He told them to talk to his lawyers who were handling the case. Kaepernick's advisors saw the response as standard. The union was insulted. The bad blood increased. As early as the 2017 preseason, Malcolm Jenkins had been in talks with Goodell about partnering with the NFL on criminal justice initiatives. For two seasons, he'd raised his fist in the air during the anthem, a nod to the iconic 1968 Summer Olympics protest of John Carlos and Tommy Smith, and did work off the field with congressional leaders, local police, and community organizers. In 2016, along with Bolden, he formed the advocacy group that would become the Players' Coalition growing it to roughly 50 players over the following year and a half. Reed joined in September 2017. Along the way, they engaged Goodell and Vincent about ways the league and players could partner on issues important to the players. Jenkins had always wanted the movement to be player-led, with minimal input from the union. It showed the convictions of the players, it showed the intelligence of the players, and quite frankly, we kept the PA at bay, Jenkins says. They didn't want us in a room talking to the league, but we were going to do it anyway, so they came along to make sure things went smoothly. The coalition first met with the owners in New York in late September. Jenkins, Reed, and several other players attended. Reed described it as a dance in which talk of common ground persisted without substantial result. 
The second meeting in Washington a few weeks later contained even more tension. According to multiple players and union members who were there, Goodell attended with owners John Mara of the Giants, Art Rooney II of the Steelers, and Robert Kraft of the Patriots. Representing the players were Smith, Washington's Josh Norman and Kirk Cousins, the Jets' Demario Davis, and the Eagles' Chris Long. The players told the owners they appreciated their willingness to work together, but chastised their lack of public support in the face of Trump's criticism. Norman referenced the league's domestic violence crises and how quickly the NFL sprang into action, contrasting that to the time it was taking to address players' current concerns. Jenkins and NFLPA President Eric Winston both mentioned how much money and campaign contributions owners gave to Trump, which to them explained why they allowed him to savage the players. Smith didn't hold back either. You've been fine with the players being out front on this issue, he said at one point, and you were happy with our players taking a beating from the right and being characterized as anti-cop, anti-America, anti-military, and that's BS. At another juncture, Long recalls making a different point to the owners, which was then echoed by other players. We haven't forgotten Cap doesn't have a job. He deserves a job. For a few weeks between late October and early November, the players appeared unified. In group chats and phone calls, they discussed strategy for negotiating with the owners. Through Reed, Kaepernick was kept up to speed, and Kaepernick soon agreed to join the coalition. But the coalition was fracturing along a tenuous line. Players like Reed, who primarily protested by taking a knee and who believed their protest was directly linked to Kaepernick's employment, saw themselves as taking the greatest risk. Kaepernick was out of the league, as was longtime veteran defensive back Antonio Cromartie, who had taken a knee to start 2016 and was cut after four games by the Colts. Reed himself was in a contract year, and although Jenkins maintained that all the players in the coalition could offer input on a massive group text messaging chain, the Kneelers felt as if they had nominal influence. Reed had been wary of the coalition dating to the first New York meeting when, as ESPN the magazine previously reported, Bill's owner Terry Pagula suggested that Bolden would be the perfect NFL spokesman on social issues, in part because it couldn't be a white owner but needs to be someone who's black. Reed suggested Kaepernick. If there's going to be a face to this, it needs to be Colin, Reed recalls saying. The room did not respond. The Kneelers didn't feel particularly supported by the union either. In early October, when Jerry Jones threatened to bench any Cowboys player who demonstrated, Reed called Smith, asking him what the union response would be. You just heard a guy blatantly threaten our job security, Reed remembers saying, and you're not going to respond? Smith said he already had Goodell's assurances that players would not be punished for protesting, as well as the assurance of Giants owner John Mara, one of the game's most powerful brokers. It's healthy for us to have tough discussions and even disagree at times, Smith says now. We will be taking measures this offseason to work with agents and the league to make sure players know their rights and clubs respect the rights we all agreed are protected. But personal animus lingered after Jones's threat. There was jousting between Kaepernick and Jenkins about leadership of the coalition. Reed says the group had agreed that there would be an inclusive leadership structure, yet he felt that Jenkins had anointed himself the leader of the coalition. Meanwhile, Jenkins says his only goal was to have players united to fight issues important to them. He was moved to action when police killed Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, the same as Reed and Kaepernick. We got to this moment. We're all here for the same reason, he says, and this is what we want to see change in our communities, especially black communities. The goal isn't the protest. 
The goal is to move beyond the protest and make some changes. The divide grew when Garagos went public about Kaepernick not being invited by the players to the October New York meeting. According to two players in the group, Jenkins and other members of the coalition did not like Kaepernick lawyering up. On October 28th, Jenkins sent a message to the group chat that read, Heads up, guys. I removed Cap from this chat. His attorneys have been contacting me, and it seems clear to me that he is not interested in working under the coalition. I think it's important that we keep him involved in what we do, and he will still be invited to meetings that we have. But in regards to our decision-making and communications between members of the coalition, I think it's important to keep these things in-house in the spirit of solidarity. According to Jenkins, Long, and other coalition sources, overtures were made to Kaepernick to rejoin but a stalemate ensued. Members say they offered to fly to a place of Kaepernick's choosing for a face-to-face meeting, but Kaepernick and Reed routinely changed the conditions of a summit, and it never materialized. Reed recalls a very different scenario, an ultimatum to attend a November 7th meeting in Dallas that he couldn't attend because of his grandmother's funeral. Says Reed, we just didn't see eye to eye on why the owners were meeting with us. We never wanted the NFL's money. It was never about that. It was about us as players using our platforms to help organizations and people. We're not experts. We wanted to get the experts involved and let the experts handle this. A union source points out the obvious historical parallels to the civil rights movement. The idealistic and uncompromising Reed and Kaepernick faction was at odds with the Jenkins-Bolden faction, which was willing to work with and within the system. It's like it was then, the source says. The legislation wasn't perfect. You didn't get everything you wanted but you had more than you had before. Long was disheartened by the discord. He was a vocal supporter of Kaepernick and donated his entire 2017 salary to charity after the violent protest in Charlottesville. When he chose to leave the Patriots, whose Super Bowl fate at the White House he did not attend and test the free agent market, his phone didn't ring. A stark contrast to his free agency the year before when he fielded many calls after two injury-riddled seasons. So now you're wondering, he says, what was it? I wanted to play. Was it because I was supportive of Cap? You didn't know. I had to make phone calls. As one of the only white players in professional sports taking a public and active stand in solidarity with the protesting players, the rifts were particularly painful to him. I sort of felt like the kid watching their parents get divorced, Long says. I think so much of this is personality-based. I honestly believe that a phone call or a meeting could have cleared all this up, but we never got there. Jenkins and Long are hopeful that time in the offseason will heal the breaches. According to the agreement the coalition struck with the league in November, players are expected to make a significant contribution to match the owners. Jenkins says the funding mechanisms on the players' side are still being worked out. The same is true for control over the joint advisory board that the league and coalition formed to oversee the initiative. In its current form, with five players, five owners, and two NFL-appointed members, the league owns the tiebreakers for any disputes, a point that concerned the kneelers. They see their concerns playing out already. Recently, the NFL committed funds to the United Negro College Fund, a venerable organization, but hardly on the front lines of police misconduct. I don't think it's as fractured as it appears in the public, Jenkins says. Obviously, it's a sensitive subject that a lot of guys are passionate about and a lot of guys sacrifice for and put themselves out there to change. It's going to be something that's hard for everybody to see eye to eye on. But at the end of the day, I'm proud of everybody who gave us input to get us here. That includes Eric Reed and Mike Thomas. They played a huge role in the things we got the league to commit to. They were in those meetings up until the very end. I think everyone's hearts are in the right place. 
I think all of the details can probably be worked out, Reed says. But the details aren't the reason I left the coalition. I left the coalition because of Malcolm. Looming over all of this is the issue of protest. Long believes that if the owners attempt to compel the players to stop protesting, the players will dissolve the relationship. I believe in Malcolm, Long says. I've watched how hard this guy works, how much he cares about this. This was never supposed to be a quid pro quo. I don't think guys would accept that. Jenkins' pragmatism produced a result, hard cash from the owners, that few people thought possible when Kaepernick first began his protest. But cooperation is not the same as trust, and that looms large in the coming months. The Kaepernick collusion suit will play out as other protesters like Reed reach free agency. Meanwhile, for all of Long's faith, as players contribute their financial share under the agreement struck by Jenkins and Bolden, it remains to be seen whether it will result in a reduction of their protests, willingly or otherwise. We'll see if the league will keep its word or if the players got taken, says a former player. But I don't think they sold out. You know what they did? They bought in. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Howard Bryant, coming to us live from Arizona, while my producer Kyrie and I await an icy death in the Northeast. Howard, welcome on that note. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So let's get right into this uh, story. We can talk about the evolution of where we're at now based on um, your fantastic reporting. It seemed interesting that um, when they got to the issue of the NFL owners discussing giving money to be distributed and matched by the Players Coalition and whatnot, uh, it seemed that Eric Reed was clearly frustrated with Malcolm Jenkins for sort of offering up an, an end to possibly any protests. And he felt like it amounted to like, well, that was like a price tag or being bought off. He seemed he was very vocal about it, but was this more of a Did you find this was a common feeling or that he was, or was he in the minority about that? Well, I think that he, it was a common feeling among the few players who felt the way they felt, I guess when you're looking at, it's an interesting question. When you're looking at the players' coalition, they considered their numbers to be in the 20s or the 30s of, of players. Mm-hmm. But there were a half dozen players who were very, who felt very strongly along the same lines that Eric Reed felt. Uh, Kenny Stills was very concerned. Russell Okun was was concerned. Eric was concerned. Michael Thomas of the Dolphins was also concerned, as was Marcus Peters. So you had players who did worry about what this looked like, who wondered about the, the parameters of the deal, who were concerned about the speed of this deal. Why was why did this feel like it had to be rushed when all the details weren't finalized? Mm-hmm. It was not Eric out there on an island by himself, but certainly he he took I think the lead as one of the dissenters, but he certainly wasn't the only person who felt that way about this deal. Has that dissension to that deal died down, do you feel, or has it grown or what direction has it gone? Well, it's certainly in a wait and see standpoint with all kinds of frustration. There's, there's no question about that. I think that when you look at what they, what the players coalition had been promised in terms of one advertising towards social justice, 
during the postseason, that didn't really happen. There was a small documentary that NFL Network did on Malcolm Jenkins, which inflamed a lot of the dissenters who were concerned that Malcolm was sort of self-promoting, and then that didn't make them feel any better. Right. There had always been the the gigantic elephant in the room, the, the woolly mammoth in the room, which was some of these players, their contracts were up, and what was going to happen to these kneelers if once they hit free agency, and as we've seen, Eric Reed hasn't been signed, hasn't gotten any phone calls on this yet. And so the, the real question had been, was going into business with the owners going to isolate and essentially sell out the players who were taking a knee? That, to me, is the number one question. Is it possible to decouple protest from labor? Mm-hmm. especially when you've already seen what ownership had done with Colin Kaepernick. So ownership clearly hasn't decoupled labor from protest because they they did not sign him. They did not even offer him a tryout. Right. And now we're seeing the same thing happen with Eric Reed. So the question is seemingly as of now, even though people say that it's too early in the process, that the question is being answered. That ownership is not decoupling. Ownership is punishing the players who protested the most vocally, mm-hmm. and they're punishing them by not hiring them and essentially ending their careers. Maybe that will change if Eric Reed gets a job, but as of today, there is a growing amount of evidence that the players who protested and did not sort of cooperate with this players' coalition, they're paying a price. It seems that, to your point, that the... Uh a coupling of labor and this issue, it seems that they're treating this like a labor issue. And by that they've using the same strategy they've used before, which is we're not going to say a word. We're going to wait for people to start disagreeing. And then we're going to move in with an offer. That's not what they want, but one that somebody people just won't refuse. Or no offer at all. And in, in, in the stand, you know, from the position of, of some of the players who are, are more vocal. And I, and I agree. I, I think that, it was always an interesting question in the first place. And, and I think when I had spoken with Eric and spoken with some of the dissenters, they were somewhat dumbfounded as well that ownership is playing hardball. And why would we think, number one, that we could go into business with them without even trying to go create something for ourselves? Let's go and use our own expertise and let's use our platform and let's use our names to to raise money from grass you know with for grassroots organizations without the NFL owners why do we feel like we need the owners in the first place and i think that one of these that was one of the great philosophical issues or disagreements that i think the players coalition had with with some of the dissenters do you think there are some owners out there that do feel that are they all for one and one for all or are there any privately that feel that the like this is actually American for you to you're actually respecting the flag by you know exercising your first amendment right to express yourself but they but well, I they, think there's no I think there's no question that they've closed ranks there's no, no question that no matter what they may feel privately publicly they have closed ranks I think Jed York is one of the more progressive owners in the NFL supposedly Steve Ross of the Dolphins was supposedly very sympathetic but yet publicly has been somewhat hawkish about this Whatever he feels privately, uh, publicly, he has tried to make players, you know, he said that he wants players to, to stand for the anthem as well. So I think that, I think it's one thing in theory, and I think it's another thing in practice, because I think they believe this is costing them money. Mm-hmm. I think it's very disappointing in a lot of ways, because 
can you have it both ways? Can you say that you're committed to social justice with this $89 million partnership with the Players Coalition while at the same time punishing protest? You can't have it both ways. And I think that I think it's also important in the language when I think about it in terms of media as well. We do not cooperate. I'm sorry, we don't. Yeah, we, we're not helping with the with with this story in a lot of ways because we fall into the same language of the league. If you're going to say that you are committed to social justice and you're going to say that the that the league is going to be a partner with this players coalition and yet call protest or call these issues a distraction. So it doesn't quite work. It's bad math. It doesn't work on you, you. We want them to have it both ways and they can't. It's either a distraction and you don't support it or it's something that you are willing to that you're willing to live with because you're committed to the principle of the idea. And I don't think we're at all holding ownership to to that standard. And, and they are getting away with something, in my opinion. It does seem interesting where do you find that um, when you compare it to where you have like the NBA, where you have like an Adam Silver who seems to be and then looking at how outspoken the Warriors are, one of the, the biggest team currently in the NBA, they seem to be almost have a license to be outspoken. Do you think that's more a reflection of the demographics of the fans or that's more intelligent leadership? And it more, I think it's more intelligent leadership, and I think it's more uh, the demographic of the players, and I think it's also the financial situation of the NBA. You've got these guaranteed contracts, and you're the best of the best are doing the talking. Mm-hmm. I think this dynamic might be a little different if you had Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers right. doing the talking, and where you know that equivalent of Steph Curry or LeBron James. If you had that in the NFL, if Colin Kaepernick were a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning level type player, what would what would the dynamic be? He he was vulnerable because his play didn't protect him. So that's one thing. But I also think there's something else, and that is a deal that the NFL and its players haven't made that the NBA and its players did make, which is when Colin Kaepernick took his knee in 2016, immediately the NBA mobilized. It's one thing for a player to take a knee every Sunday at one o'clock, quite something different for an 80% black league to take a knee 82 times a year. (laughs) Right. And I think optically they recognized the NBA that is, and the NBA players that this could be disastrous for a league that's actually cresting that this league, Mm -hmm. if, if you are, if you are of a certain age, you remember when the NBA was, very close to becoming a minor league. You remember right. when the, the league was too black and you remember when they, when the finals were on tape delay. And I remember when I was a kid and the, you wanted to watch the Western conference finals and they were on videotape. They weren't <laughs> even live. So because of that, I think the NBA very smart leadership realizing that, Hey, we've worked really, really hard, whether it was through bird and magic or whether it was through the Jordan era and now through Shaq and Kobe and, and now LeBron and the warriors, we're on to something. We're, we're actually, we're, we're the hot league right now. How do we compromise both? How do we, how do we avoid the optic of kneeling, which is going to inflame the customer base and keep us in a news cycle, but how do we also let these guys speak? So let's do this. Why don't you guys do us the favor of not kneeling and not making a public show of this? And then you can go say whatever you want. And if you've noticed, you've had it in two directions. One, you've got LeBron James and Steph Curry and the most visible players talking. But you also have the most visible coaches who happen to be white 
yep. doing this too. You've got Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich and Stan Van Gundy being very vocal against where we are in this country. And the NBA has very wisely stepped back. And guess what? They've actually turned protest into profit in the opposite direction mm-hmm. without it being contentious. Moving on to what, uh, w- back with the Players Coalition, do do they perceive what's being done to Colin, is there, with Colin Kaepernick specifically, is there still support for him the belief that he could be a he should be able to be a player in this league, or well, with his or with his lawsuit, do you feel that he's sort of written off that I'm now going to make my stand and I'm probably not going to play again? Well, it's two, I think it's two questions. I mm-hmm. think you're asking two questions. Let's go with the first one. The Players Coalition has always said that they support Colin Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. They've always said that they believe. You talk to Chris Long or Malcolm Jenkins or Anquan Bolden that they believe that Colin Kaepernick is being blackballed and Colin Kaepernick deserves a job. They also believe that the moment in this movement is bigger than Colin Kaepernick, that this is that this is an opportunity to take real money and put it toward real problems. And this goes back to that question that we talked about earlier. Can you have it both ways? Can you take money from the people who are blackballing one of your brothers? Right. Is it possible to do that? Secondarily, the question of have they, you know, has the, have we decided or has Colin Kaepernick decided that, well, now that he's suing the league for collusion, now that there are depositions going back and forth, now that we're in a discovery phase of a of a of an actionable lawsuit, has he simply decided that he's not going to play anymore? Well, I don't think Colin ever decided that he didn't want to play. I think Colin wants to play on certain terms. Mm-hmm. And I don't have a problem with those terms. To me, his terms are very simple. If you're going to make me apologize for protesting as if I did something wrong, as if I were Michael Vick or Ray Lewis or some of these other guys who have felt emboldened, or even O.J. Simpson, who have felt emboldened after the things that they've done to come forward against me, I'm not going to apologize. Mm -hmm. I don't have to. I did nothing wrong. And so because of that... I think that's where you have this feeling that Colin is being defiant or Colin has made the decision that he doesn't want to play anymore. I actually think Colin, he's not diplomatic. He's not being diplomatic. He's not, he's not allowing concessions. And I'm not sure that that is exactly what the league wants to see or that it's particularly smart for him to do that. But I a hundred percent agree with him that, that he shouldn't have to apologize when you have guys in that league who have been given second, third, fourth chances for actually breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Now, there was also a question of during this time of the union support of Kaepernick. While the union feels that they did support him, while others in- disagreed with that, do you feel that the union did everything they could have for, for Colin Kaepernick? No, not time? at all. Not at all. And I think, once again, this is that thing about having it both ways. And when you look at the union, the union also is trying to separate protest from labor and you can't separate protest from labor when, when management is punishing you for your protest, that's part of labor. And let's just put it on the table. The union has always been flustered by this issue. They want to support the players, but they really philosophically don't know where protest fits as in a collective bargaining unit. They're like, you know, they don't know. They, they, they want to support the players, but they don't think that social justice is necessarily part of their responsibility. And I think that I do believe that they made a, a huge tactical error in allowing the players coalition 
to negotiate directly with ownership when these guys, when, when ownership is going to punish players with their contracts or by not signing them. Right. I, think the, I, I think the union had to step in, especially once there was a, a very public and nasty rift between the players that somebody had to step in and play referee and make sure that the players were protected. And that didn't happen. And part of the reason it didn't happen is because the union just doesn't think that protest was really part of their job. They're, they're put in a position now where they don't really want this to be something that they have to deal with, but the players have demanded it. So now they're put in a box as well. They've also had a very bad relationship with Colin Kaepernick personally. So it's not like they're giving a full-throated defense of, of the guy right. because Colin because Colin and the union don't get along. They haven't gotten along because Colin opted out of the licensing agreement, so he wasn't really perceived as somebody who was 100% with the union. Colin was upset with the union about you know whatever issues they had over this licensing agreement. And, and of course, Colin's camp was upset with the union because they didn't feel that Colin was supported by them, that, that they allowed Colin to be savaged by anonymous quotes from ownership and, and, and by players, you know, ex-players who, who were coming out against, against him. And they, the, the Kaepernick camp believed that, that the union had a responsibility to defend their player, to say, listen, you, you can't do this. You, we're not going to allow you as owners to compare a guy who is fighting for some of the poorest people with the fewest rights in the country, you can't compare him to Ray Carruth. Right, oh, and, exactly. And ownership, you know, in the union, when you think about this, the union, the union's position is that we believe that we defended him. It just clearly wasn't enough for the Kaepernick camp. And, and to be honest, I, I tend to agree. I think that they could have done a lot more. But to do that would have meant to change philosophy, to say, okay, we're in for a penny, in for a pound on protest, not just collusion and not just job rights, but we're going to support our players on this issue as well. And I don't think philosophically they've gotten there yet. Do you think, though, that um, despite of, you know, no apologies or no giving no breaks to the union or the ownership, do you think that part of the team, Kaepernick's team, was flawed and was that they didn't seem to have a hardcore strategy or plan or end game of what they what they were looking for? Yeah, I think that I think that the Kaepernick team, I mean, they're not perfect either. Everybody, this is a learning curve for everybody in terms of going into this new space that people have not gone into for years in terms of in terms of athletes taking public positions and very political positions. I think everybody wanted Colin to talk. I think people wanted him to be a leader. They wanted him to to be the face of the movement of something that that really didn't begin with him obviously, but he symbolized it better than anybody. And it just wasn't his way. It wasn't the decision that he chose to make for himself personally. And was that a tactical error? I think it depends on who you talk to. To me, I would have loved to have seen Colin embrace this moment because I think that he had an opportunity. People were listening to him. And you know, in, in our, this day and age, nobody listens to anybody. Right. So the fact that he had the country's attention was something very powerful and very special and very rare. But I also understood that he felt that it wasn't right for him to – to go out and be the public spokesperson on this. And there was a vacuum. And I think because of that vacuum, my biggest issue with it was it allowed other people to define Colin Kaepernick more than Colin Kaepernick defined himself. I didn't think, I, I didn't think that was something that he should have allowed to happen, but it did happen. And, 
And so now you've got his adversaries determining his desire to play football and, and questioning who he is as a person and questioning and essentially shaping this entire narrative. I think he could have done more to uh, prevent that. Now, looking at some of these, the hardcore, uh, the, the dissenters that were very vocal, as you spoke about at the beginning, and like Eric Reed, for example, who has gotten no phone calls in his free agency period, do you think that the coalition could use this uh, as part of their narrative? Because then you have someone, as you said earlier about second or third chances, like, they talked about how Greg Hardy's ability to play the game was um, something that everyone was on board with on the Cowboy side after being dismissed and the crazy charges against him. It seems that those kind of charges against someone completely outweigh or being outweighed, I mean, by protesting and being vocal about the league. Well, that's the reason why you have people believing that the players coalition sold out the sold out the kneelers and sold out the dissenters and sold out the guys who put their careers on the line. And that's that is the real source of all of this tension. And they're not wrong, because once again, if you're really down with this, if you're really real about what this means, then you couldn't go into business with them. You couldn't go into business with ownership. You got to tie Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and every other player who took a stand. You have to tie their employment to, to your business relationship with them. Otherwise, it looks like you were willing to sacrifice Colin Kaepernick and you were willing to sacrifice Eric Reed and those guys for this. And I, I think that's the one area for as much as you may want to criticize Colin Kaepernick for what he did say or what he didn't say or choosing not to talk. The one thing that I do feel is not in his camp and is not his problem was the fact that that the other players did not recognize this as an opportunity to come together along labor lines. They should have all Mm -hmm. stuck together. There was no reason to make a deal with these guys when they were going to essentially deny employment to to your teammates or your your union brothers. What do you think is the realistic legacy of this moment and the money and these players involved? I know that's a lot of questions, but where do you think, how do you think we'll be talking about this Howard in one year or two years? I think we're going to talk about the movement being co-opted. I think we're going to talk about the lack of courage on the part of the players. If this goes the way it's going right now, I think we're going to talk about Colin Kaepernick and hopefully not Eric Reed because Eric Reed is still in play right now. I don't think Colin Kaepernick is, but we very well could be talking about this moment where over a five month period, you have NFL players making an $89 million deal with owners. While at the same time, you have a collusion lawsuit, not just one with Colin Kaepernick, but maybe another one with Eric Reed as well. If the NFL players, if, if Eric Reed goes into whether it's whether it is training camp or, or 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 opening day unemployed, then I think the legacy of this will be that the players' coalition did a, a disastrous deal to uh, to its own membership. Well, we will absolutely be watching to see what happens next with these players, um, and I know you will be on top of it the whole way. Howard, <laughs> I have to. You have to, whether you like it or not. That's right. Howard, thank you so much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.